I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else, a tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. After months of trying to get the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office to answer any of our questions, we've arrived here in Mount Holly, New Jersey. These dissonant church bells echo around the buildings surrounding us. There's a jail, some courthouses, and even a prison museum. But today, we're on a mission. Our reporter Betsy Shepard and I head through a metal detector, and security pulls us aside. They ask us a few questions and inspect our recording gear. Finally, we head to the second floor. Burlington County Prosecutor HQ. The county prosecutor's lead investigator on the NARA case has agreed to sit down with us. His name is Detective Sergeant Brian Cunningham, and he joined the department in July 2018, well after the murders. He's young, with slicked back hair, and wearing a coat and tie. But our meeting has some pretty stringent ground rules. No questions. We're only to record him reading two outdated press releases. Headline, 25,000 reward posted for information on Maple Shade double homicide. Burlington County Prosecutor Scott Kafina, Special Agent in Charge of the FBI Newark Division, Timothy Gallagher. It's a weird scene. Betsy and I have the recording gear out, expecting to get something. But immediately the PR guy warns the room, no one's to go off script. The bodies of Sasakala Nara, age 38, and Anish Nara, age 6, were discovered inside their unit at the Fox Meadow Apartments on March 23rd. Can I stop for a second? I'm sorry. Her, her name is pronounced Shoshikala. Sasikala. 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 Yeah. Sasikala. Sasikala. Yeah. Okay. I just don't want to have a, her name mispronounced coming from our office. Six years after the murders, in their only statement to us, investigators are still stumbling over the victims' names. They say it's an open and active investigation, which is why they won't talk about it. But they also won't show us any evidence they're doing much of anything. The Burlington County Prosecutor's Office ignores our public records requests, and at first, even refuses to give us things we later find posted to their own Facebook page. We hire a lawyer to try to obtain the 911 call, autopsy reports, and death certificates. It seems like the only active thing the prosecutor's office is doing is actively keeping us from information. Detective Cunningham finishes reading the five-year-old statement. They won't be answering anything off the cuff. Not today, not ever. Investigators won't even confirm if Hanunara, the husband and father of the victims, is or ever was a suspect in the killings. But we discover plenty of suspicion surrounding him. In this episode, we look into the husband and try to find out as much as we can about him. I'm Tinku Ray. I'm Ben Adair. 
This is Strangeland Season 2, Murder in Maple Shade. Episode 3, The Husband. Good afternoon. My name is Scott Cafina. I am the Burlington County Prosecutor. I want to thank Fox Meadow Apartments for allowing us to hold this announcement here. This is from a press conference held nearly six months after the murders, posted to Facebook by NBC10 Philadelphia, who is used to announce the $25,000 reward for any information relating to the crimes. The management is just as concerned as we are with fighting the killers of Shashikala and Anish Nara. This has been and remains an active investigation involving several law enforcement agencies. At this point in the investigation, it was hard not to think investigators had totally lost the thread. Even after appealing to the FBI for help and getting it, the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office was coming up completely empty, and reporters knew it. I feel like the elephant in the room is what's going on with the husband slash father. Is there anything you can say what's going on with him? Uh, he's been cooperative. Uh, my understanding is he's no longer living in the area, and he is aware that, we, uh, that the FBI has put up the reward. And has he ever been a suspect? I can't comment on who is or is not a suspect in the case. This is the theme over and over. Reporters want to know more about Hanu's status. Does he still have his passport? Is he allowed to travel? Was a murder weapon recovered? I'm not commenting on anything related to anybody who is or is not a citizen. And investigators don't say anything. We do know that on the night of the murders, Hanu was brought in for questioning. And while he recited his alibi, he left work, went to a happy hour, returned home around 9 p.m., the police were combing through his apartment. And they found a trove of potential electronic evidence. Officials confiscated four cell phones, a tablet, an external hard drive, and four computers. There were multiple warrants for communication data, which means they could search the NARA's cell phone records, cloud accounts, texts, and emails. So investigators gather all these devices and all this data for their investigation. And Hanu, for his part, hires a lawyer. If you're charged with a crime and want an experienced, aggressive lawyer to defend you, call Jack Venturi and Associates, the lawyers who fight for you. We focus on Criminal defense lawyer Jack Venturi has been practicing law for more than 40 years. He has a blog that includes posts like, Are there valid defenses to domestic violence? and defending against repeat DUI charges in New Jersey. Needless to say, he denied a request for an interview. Just eight days after the murders, Venturi writes a letter to the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office requesting a copy of the autopsies and all statements Hanu made to police. Could this have been the first step in preparing for a criminal defense? Venturi also requests the return of Hanu's passport and visa documents indicating that police had confiscated them. A few weeks later, Venturi writes another letter to the prosecutor's office. This time, he demands the return of Hanu's multiple laptop computers. 
And after a few months of back and forth, Hanu sues the state of New Jersey over these confiscated items. In the filing, Venturi details how Hanu had been a gold star cooperating witness. He handed over a bunch of personal belongings, clothing, even his and Sasi's cars. Now, Venturi says, Hanu simply wants back what's rightfully his. Venturi also inquires how Hanu might post reward money to help with the investigation. And he tells investigators to keep Hanu in the loop about their progress. Well, the best way to find out about someone is to ask them directly. We find a phone number for Hanu Nara, and we call. Please leave your message. Hi, Hanu. Uh, My name is Tinku Ray, and I'm a journalist that's uh, looking into the unsolved murders of Sassy and Anish. Um, This has been a really heartbreaking um, story to me. And um, When Hanu doesn't call back, we message him. We find an email address, and we write him there, too. Still, no response. So next, we turn to his social circle. Friends, co-workers, Facebook friends and acquaintances. Anyone who might have any information on what Hanu's like, how he reacted to the murders, what he's doing today. And no dice. A few people say they're willing to be interviewed, but then dodge all our follow-up calls. We set up meetings that get canceled. Others get mad at us for digging after a case that they think should stay buried. And then there were even a few who threatened legal action. This is a Facebook message sent to us by one of Hanu's friends. Quote, Stop contacting, and this is disgusting to cash out on dead people. If you are a sincere journalist, you will talk to Mapleshade Police and FBI to get the justice for Sassy and Anish. If you contact any more friends of Hanu, you will get the legal notice for disturbing. End quote. So that's one stone wall from law enforcement and another stone wall from Hanu and his social circle. But we're able to comb through documents and find out a few key details. The lawsuit filed by Jack Venturi gives us a peek into Hanu's legal strategy and his state of mind. Venturi advised Hanu not to take a polygraph test that authorities requested. Venturi requests copies of all statements made by his client to investigators. And he states that Hanu has given police sufficient proof of his alibi, a receipt from the office party he attended. But here's my question. How does a time-stamped receipt prove his alibi when there seems to be no consensus on when the murders occurred? According to the autopsy, Sussie's time of death was 3.30 p.m. This is also the official time of death listed on her death certificate. But Anisha's autopsy says he died four and a half hours later at 8 p.m. It's possible they were killed at different times, but we know this timeline doesn't track. We confirmed with one of Anisha's after-school tutors that he was at a session the day of the murders. And he was there until about 4.30 when his mom picked him up, who at that point was still very much alive. So did the medical examiner make a simple clerical error? When we try to find out, they tell us that the time of death is not their responsibility. It's determined by first responders. And if you want to find out more, 
we should ask the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office. These stone walls are getting bigger. But there's one more lead we start to run down. It turns out there may have been a motive for murder. A million-dollar motive. And that's coming up right after the break. I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else. A tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. While digging through court records for anything and everything related to Sasi and Hanunara, we come across a reference to a lawsuit over insurance filed in New Jersey just after the murder. What we find is big. It turns out, almost two years before the murders, Fruco Life Insurance issued two policies for Sasi. They total a little more than a million dollars. And they also name her husband, Hanu, as the sole beneficiary. We saw the actual insurance application, and Hanu is listed as the contact. It's his email address, not Sasi's on the form. Fast forward to 2017. Just six weeks after the murders, Hanu submits a claim to cash in on these policies. But there's a problem. New Jersey, like a lot of states, has what's called a Slayer Statute. This is a law that says, basically, if you murder your family, your right to their estate is revoked. So before handing over the money to Hanu, Ruko Life Insurance reaches out to the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office, essentially asking if they were in the clear to give Hanu the money. The answer was no. They said, quote, The death of Sasikala Nara is an open criminal investigation. Therefore, no parties can be conclusively eliminated at this time, end quote. So, I decide to give Hanu another call. Please leave your message. Hi, Hanu. This is Tinku Ray again, the journalist who's working on the story about the unsolved murders of Sasi and Anish. You haven't returned any of my messages, so I'm... Uh, reaching out to give you an opportunity to actually participate in our investigation. Since 2017, Hanu has stayed relatively quiet about the murders. In India, media outlets have covered the case fervently, but mostly without his firsthand account. On Hanu's public Facebook page, there's a mix of profile pics, inspirational quotes, and this tribute to Anish on what would have been his 11th birthday. Quote, you are the best thing that happened in my life, Anish Nara. I wish you a happy birthday, and you have gone too soon by leaving me alone here. Be happy wherever you are. My life is never the same without you. In one of the rare interviews Hanu did give, he spoke to Indian news outlet NDTV. This was posted online just two days after the murders. And he detailed what he saw when he arrived home and realized something was not right. Every day uh, when I come home, I 
I just enter, I take out my shoe, then I call my son's name Anish, Anishama. Every day he'll come and give one hug. In the video, Hanu is remarkably relaxed looking. He could still be in shock, but it's a little surprising how non-reactive he is. This is just a day or two after the murders. But yesterday he did not come, so that's where I went to the bedroom. That's when I saw that he was lying Dina is is on the bed and my wife was on the edge of the bed that was a complete shocker then i couldn't control that moment i don't know how to dis- the best way to describe it then i ran out and called 911 and uh, it was the most horrific moment for anyone to go through do you have any suspicion on what exactly happened uh i still uh, not able to come out of the shock and i, I I don't even know why it happened whatever happened uh police are actively in investigating uh looking forward for the final investigation from police One of the only other first-hand sources we have from the night of the crime is the 911 call It's a visceral replay of the moments after Hanu discovered the bodies his initial reactions observations and descriptions of the crime scene and it turns out there are a lot of strange details in that 911 call for one hanu keeps saying over and over i just came from the office without ever being asked or prompted in fact he slips his alibi into the call eight times came from the office now just come from office just no, came from office i just came from office just now I've both are not breathing. I just came from office. Just came from office. I I I just came from came back from office and they both are in the bed. Just came back from the office. Meanwhile, he leaves out some incredibly pertinent details. Like the fact that Sasi and Anish appear to have been stabbed and murdered. Instead, he says, quote, they both are not breathing and only mentions the blood after his neighbor says it. Okay, what happened to them? I have no idea. Are they bleeding? I came from office. I told it's late. Yeah. Are they bleeding? Oh! Yeah, fully yeah. bleeding. Where are they bleeding from? I have no idea. They're not moving at all. It should be noted that Hanu does have some emotional outbursts in this call. An occasional wail or bout of crying punctuates the conversation. But Hanu's neighbor on the call, the mystery neighbor who's helping describe the scene, she seems almost more upset than Hanu does. No, I I feel like they both are dead. That's what I feel. Okay, do you want to start CPR? No, you can't. Their throat is slit. Hold on a second, I'm sorry. We've listened to this 911 call over and over. We've picked it apart, trying to find any details about the mystery neighbor, the crime scene, anything. But there's one other part that had us scratching our heads. It's a very quick moment. It's easy to miss. It happens just after the four-minute mark. Okay, hold on one second for me, okay? Hold on one second for me, okay? Don't hang up. It's a little muffled, tough to make out. But what it sounds like to me is that while still on the phone with 911, 
Hanu is asking if he can borrow someone's phone to make another call. He says, I need to call and mentions a name, which means the circle of people with firsthand knowledge of what happened in those minutes before law enforcement arrived is growing. There's Hanu, there's the mystery neighbor we know about, and now there's someone else, someone he was compelled to call in those first emotional minutes. At this time of absolute crisis, just minutes after finding the mutilated bodies of his wife and child, before police and paramedics have even arrived on the scene, Hanu is asking to borrow someone's phone to call another person. Who is Hanu trying to call? And what do they know about the murders? That's coming up next time on Strangeland. Episode 4 starts right now. I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else. A tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 